Good evening, LCM. Tonight is December 15th, 2022. Still your brother. Hmm. Apparently, I'm not as alert as I should be tonight. That's going to be important later. So in these last days of our year and in the holiday season, we couldn't help but notice an increase in the way in which people are less alert. They're more aggressive, tense, anxious. Lines are longer. The prices of goods and gifts are higher. Everyone is frantically trying to get their holiday shopping done, which ultimately results in even worse driving conditions. Just ask anyone who's on a motorcycle in Houston, Texas. It is very true. <laughs> Distressed drivers are pulling out in front of you left and right, backing out of parking spaces without looking and then screaming at you for not paying attention to their every move. You're finding out there are more Karens in Target and on the road than a middle school in Wisconsin. <laughs> Selah, think about it. It tis the season to be folly. Fra ra 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 ra, right, Elder John? What is needed now more than ever is a greater sense of our surroundings. Amen? Amen. A heightened spiritual situational awareness that pays closer attention to detail, anticipates what potentially lies ahead, and is prepared for righteous right action. While the world is going from stressed to even more stressed, the saints of the living God and the saints in this house are going from sifting to strengthening. Are you guys going to strengthening? Yeah. Well, look, Sunday, we learned about the practical application of team drinking. And in team drinking, we learned that through our unity and our intentional pursuit to edify each other, we experience the overflowing empowerment of God together yeah. and for the purpose to accomplish what we cannot do by ourselves. We also recognize something. And that is team drinking, in fact, is very good. Yes. So reflecting on the occurrences of Acts 2 and the saints that participated in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, when his people drank of his spirit at Pentecost, the world considered them drunk. The reality of the situation was that those who were overflowing with the Spirit were actually the ones who were alert and sober-minded more than anyone else present. You know, that actually brings us to the title of tonight's message, which is Alert and Sober-Minded. So let's take a look at a passage that has been ministering to your pastor's heart this week. It's going to be found in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 7. As you're turning there, say alert and sober-minded. Let's pick up in verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Let's take the beginning of this verse. It helps direct our focus towards the Lord's larger plan. If you knew that you did not have much more time left to accomplish your call, how might that change the way that you prioritize the things you do in a day? You know, this perspective alone will only cause, will cause you to take a moment and take inventory of the things that you try to do in a day. So think about everything that goes into a day right now, or just take today, everything that you tried to pack in to Thursday before an LCM service. How important are those little tasks that you busy yourself with every day if you think about your time being shorter than you may have thought? Doesn't it change your perspective? If we say the end of all things are, are near and you're busying yourself with tasks, well, I know there's at least five things that in a second I know that's not important, that's not important, that's not important. So as we begin tonight, we want to lay that foundation as a perspective. 
as we move forward in the service, as we move forward into uh, a glorious ending of this sermon, consider that we may not have as much time as we think to accomplish the will of God, and that perspective changes our very actions. So look, anytime that we get together, this is a family meeting. That's right. Right? We're sitting here basically in a living room. It is a living room, just with individual little couches. And we want you to get something. Everyone relax. Look, take a deep breath. There you go. Right? We're hanging out together. The content of our message is birthed directly from the Word and Peyton and I's interaction with it all week long. So we want to speak freely to you guys. And we want to speak openly to you guys. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So here's what we ask of you. We ask of you to open your hearts. Right? Let your hearts be vulnerable before the Lord, before his word, and before his people. And we ask that you be alert. Now, look, we got a brand new coffee maker. It's twice the size as the normal ones. It's got twice the caffeine going on inside of it. So, will you guys be alert with us tonight? All right, as you turn to Genesis chapter 15, everyone say alert. Starting in verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So Abraham was a man who is just like you and I. He's a man. Right? Made in God's image. The breath of life was in him and set on earth to do God's will. He is looking at his life at the surface. So the Lord is engaging him, right? Just like you, the Lord begins to engage you. You, you feel alert. Like, oh, the Lord is speaking to me. Or at least presumably you are alert. But here's what begins to happen. Just like Abram, we begin to draw conclusions about what the Lord is going to do, but more importantly, the steps in which it takes to accomplish it. So haven't we all done this? Right? The Lord's spoken to you. He's got your attention. You're alert. He tells you what is yet to come, and now your wheels are just spinning. That's not possible. I don't see how this is going to work out. Well, it's easy to feel like we're being alert and look at the circumstance with our very own clear eyes. Well, this happens as the Lord begins to speak about the future. And here's a particular word. I think that my alertness that is correct means that I then must calculate. Calculate the steps that are required to accomplish what I see in my own version of alertness. This happens uh, it, it has happened many times o- over the years. Let's say we have a, a New Year's Eve bonfire coming up, right? It is a staple that when we get together, we are sharing testimonies of what God has done in our lives and encouraging each other. And many times you have received a prophetic word. I received a prophetic word and begins to speak about what is yet to come. I will spend the next 12 months trying to figure out the timing and exact actions of exactly how that's going to play out. Coming back to Abram. But look what happens to Abram in the midst of his personal calculations regarding his life and as it pertained to his future generations. Let's go to verse 4. Yeah, I can relate to Abram so much. Most days I have to fight the urge to collect the data of my life, everything that goes on, every circumstance, to triangulate what I believe God is capable of. But he's the God of the supernatural. He's not defined by my circumstances. He's not defined by my collection of data. He's defined by the word that he spoke. Listen to verse 4. Because Abraham's wrestling with the same thing. Then the word... The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Can someone say amen to the word coming to you? Church, you don't need to exhaust yourselves trying to predict what God is capable of based on what you can see. Or maybe what a test result says. 
or what so-called experts say on the matter. That does not define what God is capable of. You will not find your, your purpose on the surface. His word coming to you will take you into the depths of his will. And what is it going to do? It's going to do something for your mind. It's going to put you on alert. Now, to be alert means to be watchful, patient, full of anticipation for the word of the Lord to come to you. So tonight, we want to put you on alert, church. Now, you may think of being alert as being stressed or overwhelmed, like tweaking out over too much caffeine. But that's not being alert. When you are alert, you are able to be fully awake and aware as you consider what the Lord wants to accomplish in any situation. For example, being alert does not mean you are stressed and overwhelmed about work. Being alert means that you know what God has called you to do as an occupation. And every day with an alertness and awareness, you walk into your job and you are observing, anticipating, looking for an open door to share his light with someone else. Or your marriage. Every day you spend with your spouse is not a time to be stressed or overwhelmed. That is not being alert. Being alert is being a good shepherd, husbands, and watching, anticipating, watching every move so that you are ready for anything that may come against your marriage. Or let's take teams. Being alert about your teams is not being heightened in your criticism of every detail that they need to work on. Being alert is looking at your team despite maybe obvious issues that you need to work through. Being alert is being able to be aware that there are issues, but you know where you're headed, and you can see the expanse between, and you say, we are here, and here's the path to there. That's what alert is. Or let's take ministry. When you know what God has ordained for you to do as a minister and an ambassador of God, it does not become a burden that you are overwhelmed and stressed, and therefore you can't sleep at night as if you're some kind of caffeine addict. Being alert means that you are patient, that you are fully aware of every moving piece around you, and you are anticipating where God wants you to stand in the gap so that the pieces connect. And our last one. Life in general. How many of you on a day-to-day -day basis can't actually point to one thing that you're stressed about? You can only say, I'm just stressed about life. I'm just overwhelmed about life. Everything seems to be hard. Everything seems to take my energy and I can't sleep at night. But you feel like you are alert and aware. That's not the alertness that we're talking about. We're talking about an alertness that settles you in the presence of God. An alertness that doesn't look like you're bouncing on your feet, just waiting to be uh, moved by any, anything that comes your way. We're talking about an alertness that looks a little more like planting your foot and watching what's happening and then looking to your father and saying, what needs to go in my life now? What needs to happen in this moment? I am ready, I am listening, I am set. And I'm confident. Now we want you to watch how the Lord takes Abram from a state of alarm to spiritually alert in verse 5. You still with us? Okay. You guys still there? Uh, let, let me see your eyes. Show me your eyes. I open them up. Whites of the eyes. Alert, alert, alert. Yeah, we're alert. Amen. Verse 5. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Let's take that first phrase in verse 5. He took him outside. Has everyone ever been taken outside for a good talking to? Yes. I mean, raised up in your household. Yeah. Yeah, we had this, this spectacular tree in our backyard. It's a gumball tree. And it had the most bendable branches that you could ever find on it. And no gumballs. And I knew what it meant. 
when my dad said, son, I'm going to take you outside. Well, it was to bring about revelation. That's what it was for. It's the same thing that's happening here with Abram. Obviously, God, God is not whipping him. God is revealing something to him and bringing him to a greater heightened awareness to be alert. So here, the Lord takes Abram outside so he can have a moment to look up at the expanse of God's will that's all around him. And that is exemplified by looking up and seeing the stars up in the sky. Well, how did those stars just magically appear the minute that Abraham looked up? No. They had always been there. They have always been there. God set them in place well before Abram ever existed. I don't know. Maybe it's like you already have what you need. Yeah, come on. Everything that you need. Those stars of promise were always there, and Abraham, Abram didn't need to see them as promises until the Lord made him alert and aware of them. God picked the exact time and exact place that he would speak to his son. He would take him outside, and he would speak to his son, and he would direct his eyes to see what had always been there because that was the moment that Abraham could then stand, see, and believe. Trust, grounded obedience began that day, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The same thing happens for you, saints. Those stars of promise have always been there the entire time. You simply may not have noticed them yet. So this evening, we're going to do something. Are you still alert? Okay. We're going to ask Adonai to make us alert to what his will is that is already all around us. Open our eyes that we may see it, Lord. The truth is many of our amazing promises may be something that you experience every day, but you have not had the word come to you to reveal yet what their purpose is. So we're hopeful of something. We're hopeful that the word will come to you now. The word will come to you today to begin to turn your gaze upward in alertness. Open your eyes and see what God is already surrounding you, what's already there that he is going to fulfill. So if the word has come to you, we pray that your heart is strengthened by the fact that those promises will be brought to full completion just as sure as the existence of the stars are in the sky. So let us remind you of our key passage for tonight. It's 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So let's talk being sober-minded. The only way to truly be sober-minded is to drink deeply of his spirit and to be full of his word. A man who is full of his spirit, full of his word, who is sober-minded is a man like Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 14, we have an amazing story between Jonathan and his armor bearer. Many of you are intimately familiar with their story. Jonathan had this crazy idea to take out a Philistine outpost with just him and his buddy. You want to read the story? 1 Samuel 14, let's start in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Great idea. This is the quintessential hold my beer moment. <laughs> what was going through Jonathan's mind that alerted him to the idea of marching right up to a Philistine garrison? Well, it's safe to say that Jonathan was not thinking like most men. He knew the strength and the power of God, the God of Israel, and it directed his every decision, unlike his father, who was intoxicated and incapacitated by his own ambition. Let's keep going in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord 
from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. So Jonathan has a, a sobriety about him. And that sobriety is in what the Lord would do. It was in the character of who his God is and what he had determined Israel's destiny in confronting the, the Philistines. And he knew that that sobriety of God's character would be an inspirational drawing of brothers to his side. That armor bearer that stood with him. So can anybody relate to this? Meaning, have not many of us been drawn to others in the faith who had a sober-minded vision of what the Lord would accomplish? But it appeared to be a little bit impossible. Even appeared to be greatly impossible. That when you looked in that brother's eyes or you just stood next to him, you saw something genuine inside of his soul and his spirit. And that was a sobriety of mind that could only come from the mind of Christ. That God spoke to this man, put a vision inside of his soul. And you can detect the authenticity of that vision inside of him because how he acts and how he speaks reflects the genuineness of the call and the mind of God inside of him. When we hear that, when we detect it, Immediately, we recognize that is brotherhood. That's what I want to be joined to. There's so many imposters out there. There's so many fake claims of believers that say that they will give up their lives for the gospel. But I want to meet a man. I want to meet a woman who will live it out, who will lay down their life on a daily basis and do it alongside the family of God. These two men were seemingly out of their minds, out of their minds to think that they could take on an army just by themselves. But since they were in the Lord's mind, there was nothing that they could not accomplish together. The will and the mind of God was at work within them. Therefore, nothing was impossible for them to accomplish. The story goes on to describe these two men leaving a trail of fallen Philistines in their wake. One thing that sober-minded brothers do is catch the enemy off guard. See, the enemy is always working to steal, kill, and destroy, to cause division. But what he's not anticipating is sober-minded believers standing against that opposition, being prepared in advance to detect it, know that it's coming, and already have the fullness of the mind of Christ ready to go on the offense. I guarantee that the last thing that the Philistines were on alert for were these two men climbing up a rocky crag to put a whooping on them. Because as these men approached the front lines, the lesson we can glean from Jonathan and his armor bearer was that both of them knew that the other was sober-minded, and they each had each other's best interest in mind. Couldn't be a better example than warfare. When you need to know that someone has your best interest in mind, you know, bet your bottom dollar that warfare is going to bring out whether that's genuine or not. This kind of sober-minded manliness is happening in 1 Samuel 14, it really reminds me of something. It reminds me of this phrase that we should all be familiar with, and that is the phrase irreducible minimums. Are you guys familiar with that phrase? Well, these irreducible minimums are the heartbeat of who we are as a church and church is in the one association, and it's something that this body is putting into practice. And we're going to highlight one of the irreducible minimums because many of you have heard it this week because it's come up in almost every conversation. But as we read it tonight, we want you to revisit it with new eyes, with an alertness that maybe you haven't read it with before. Before we move to that irreducible minimum, I just want to highlight what Pastor Matt was talking about, about men who join someone with a sober mind. Think about when you came to LCM. Just think about it for a moment. What, what condition were you in? Yeah. 
I can, talk, I can talk openly about mine. When I came to LCM, I thought I had my life figured out that I was walking around a bunch of drunks and the only person sober was me. I felt like I, I had everything lined out. I was alert, but I was deceived. When I came to LCM, I sat with men of God like Matthew Pirro, like Wade Sutherland, like Eric Stevens, and I did not understand half of what they were saying. I remember sitting in Pastor Matt's living room, and he's looking at me as a young man and saying, Peyton, we are going to take the nations by storm, and the Lord is going to use you. And I'm like, probably not. I don't see it. I just thought we were going to go to church and take a few small trips. That's because Pastor Piro was the one who was sober-minded I was the one that was drunk on my own ambition, and I could not understand the level at which he was thinking. And so, for a moment, I wanted to discredit it, but the Lord had already captured my heart, so it caused me to want to be like him. It wanted me to join the vision. I wanted all of this craziness and so much more. And here we are today, where that, that's no longer a thought. I... We are one in vision, one in purpose. We are sober-minded brothers joined together. We are like Jonathan and his armor bearer. We can look at something that the world would say is crazy and a bad idea, but for us, it's the only thing that makes sense to do. Irreducible minimum number three. We've been alerted to a particular one. It says, I have proven to my brothers and my brothers have proven to me that we have each other's best interest in mind. Amen. And we will place our brother's needs above our own. I will sacrifice my thoughts, emotions, and opinions to implement the word's instruction for our good. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 and 19 through 22. Church, this is what a sober Christian does. This is what a sober brother does. You have each other's best interest in mind, and those thoughts, emotions, and wills, they are the very thing that is intoxicating you, causing you to become incapacitated. So you give up that drink so that you can drink of the same cup with your brother. This creates a unity and a power and a victory, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer. And many of you in this room need to hear that tonight, and you need to renew your alertness of it. You need to remove, renew your sobriety of mind towards it, because the, the self-sacrifice for your brothers, the, the continual laying down of your life, it's not something you do once. It's something you do in an increasing fashion, day after day after day. And tonight, we want this body to continue to increase, because you have we wouldn't tell you this if you were failing. Our demeanor would be much different. I'm, I want to speak passionately to you. The reason we're reminding you of this is because we have already experienced so much growth this year. But I know by the Spirit of God that there is so much more ahead of us. And we need to revisit these irreducible minimums. We need to have our minds alerted. We need to be sober-minded because we're going to need it and we're going to need each other in the days ahead. Isn't it good whenever you're the recipient of encouragement and life-giving speech from a oh, sober-minded yeah. believer? Particularly whenever you didn't deserve it. <laughs> What's happening inside of this family, in this house, is that everyone is growing in their alertness and sobriety of mind in the way that you view each other. God's given us a directive, a charge. In setting the table, we're going to build the body up one to another. That your speech starts with the inner state of your heart. And that sober mind of having the mind of Christ in the view of your brother and your sister. See, when that's in place, man, all the hordes of hell can come against you. But it will not destroy you, nor will it move you. How do you think we're still here today? So, to put some things together. Y'all ready to connect something? 
All right, Sunday. What was the title of Sunday's message? Team drinking. So let's connect it to where we just covered with being alert and sober-minded. Team drinking of the Spirit enables team thinking that is alert and sober-minded. That's so nice. See, we do this as a team and as a family. How many times have you been sitting down with a brother or sister and you are sharing a word with them, they with you, you begin to be transparent, and you hear the very words out of your mouth that you thought were a splendid idea of what to do that you think is God's will. And the minute that your brother or brothers and sisters hear it, they're like, no, no. You don't get the necessary response that you're hoping for. And then you begin to discuss in transparency and trust exactly what was the origin of that decision or that thought. And in the process, you are participating in team drinking this, bringing about team thinking. You guys ready for Nehemiah 6? Nehemiah 6, picking up in verse 5. It says, Then the fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, of course he does, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. An alert and sober-minded saint doing the will of God is certain to always be confronted with counterattacks to the word and mind of Christ that dwells within him. You can expect it. These counterattacks first start in the mind of a believer and try to forecast how steadfast how your steadfast stand on what God has said is going to cause you trouble and at a minimum damage your reputation. These thoughts will project on, onto you a motive that is not true, false and only true of the sinful nature that wages war with your divine nature. They will try to get you to entertain a conversation and meeting with them so that you are uh, bound to agree with them. You ever been enticed into a conversation with your sinful nature and it demands you agree with it? It's the data collector. It can propose something that you know is not true. That's a lie. But then you're presented with data and you could, you could trace it back to, well, maybe that's partially true. We don't, need, we don't need to deal with that kind of negotiation with our sinful nature an alert and sober mind sees this ploy from the beginning and has a specific response in the next verse, which is verse 8. When we talk about, before we get to verse 8, when we talk about 1 Peter 4, 7, and we highlight to you being alert and sober-minded, what's the purpose? Is the purpose just so that you can have a word at any moment? Is it just so... You uh, feel ready in season and out of season? It, it's not just that. We have to wrestle with these things because sometimes we think, I need to be alert and sober-minded for this situation, whatever it may be. But 1 Peter 4, 7 gives us some details about why we need to be alert and sober-minded. It's so we can pray. When's the last time you viewed being alert and sober-minded and on the ready so you can pray? Sometimes we run the risk of viewing prayer as a passive action because we want to be at war. We want to be doing something. Show me what I need to move, and I will pick it up and take it where you ask me. There's nothing more powerful than a man who has a prayer life. There's nothing more powerful than a man who knows how to find the Lord in his sanctuary. That's exactly what's happening with Nehemiah. And we're going to pick up on his response in verse 8, which says, I sent him this reply. A reply to what? Those taunts. Those taunts that were trying to make him drowsy on his own fears. He said, nothing like what you are saying is happening. 
You are just making it up out of your head. A non-sober mind. He's making up lies and taunts to get the man who is in a sober mind to get drunk on his own lies. Church, you don't have to rebuttal or have a rebuttal for every thought or taunt of a barking dog. All those taunts that are coming at you, whether they be from the world or your own internal thoughts, you don't have to have a rebuttal for every single one. You can become alert to it that this is a lie and say, what you are saying is a lie. And I'm going to move on now. Let's pick up in verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Look at the screen, church. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. This is the statement of a man who is alert and sober-minded, and it allowed him to pray in the midst of trial. It's going to be the same for you, church. This past year, you have grown in your alertness and your sobriety of mind. We have also seen your prayer life increase, and now is a time to be reawakened to that revelation because we're going to need a higher awareness of the things going on around us, a, a higher level of sobriety in our minds, and we are also going to need it because our prayer life has to increase. We're not just talking about the daily actions. When I say heighten our alertness, we are now not just looking to our individual faith. We're looking out for our brothers, for our teams. We also are becoming alert of how God and archons, whatever you want to call it, the spiritual powers over nations are moving right now. That involves the man of God, the woman of God who possesses the word of life. Because we know by the prophecy in the scripture that things are going to go from bad to worse. And what they're going to need, those saints who are caught in the middle of the storm, is life. They're going to need the word. They're going to need those who are alert and sober-minded. So uh, they can join you in that rich life. So First Peter 4, 7 has been a staple for us for years. You guys, uh, depending on the time frame that you've been here, you know that we have been saying for decades about what is coming in the future in our, our growing day and time of wickedness and governmental oppression of the faith. People thought that we were heretics, crazy, out of our mind. But didn't COVID actually reveal that we had yep. alertness and soberness of mind? Right. What happened, no one could imagine, but we did. And because we had that alertness and soberness of mind, we were then able to pray as a body and have exact direction for times of difficulty. That being alert and sober of mind is what prepares you for what difficulties lie ahead in doing the exact will of God. So that it is accomplished and the glory of God can be revealed in the end of it. So we begin to, to tie this all together. Jesus spent his entire course of time with the disciples, preparing them for the difficulties that they would eventually face. In Mark chapter 13, the disciples were repeatedly told to be alert and pray. In addition to that, they were also told to not be found sleeping. Much like we would, yeah, anyway. Yet soon after hearing this charge... The disciples were faced with something. They were faced with the reality of putting what they just heard into practice. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 32, and I'm going to read this to you out of the NET. Oh, come on. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Pause for a minute. He said to his what? Disciples. All right, disciples, he told, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. So you got 12 sitting down at first. Now you got Peter, James, and John. How many is left sitting down after Peter, James, and John go? Just seeing if you guys are alert. Okay. And became very troubled and distressed. 
He said to them, my soul is deeply, deeply grieved even to the point of death. Remain here and stay alert. Who is he saying stay alert to? Peter, James, and John. Verse 35, going a little farther, he threw himself to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour would pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, huh, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter. It was Peter, James, and John that he told to sit here and stay alert. But he spoke to Peter. Simon, are you sleeping? Huh? What? Yeah. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So why speak to Peter? Peter's the, the chief disciple, the chief Talmud. And he's expected to uphold the charge given to be alert and pray. And it's setting the precedent for the remaining of the disciples. More than just setting the precedent. And this is where it begins to relate to you and I. Peter was a man whose failures are in full and public display. But yet, look how much that we have personally gleaned from that man's failures. Jesus gave them the charge to not be found sleeping but to watch him pray. And they fell asleep three times in a row. Peter, from that experience, is what he writes his, in his epistle in 1 Peter 4-7. That's why he says the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so you can pray. Don't despair over your failures. Rise out of them. Rise out of them. If you haven't been alert, if you haven't been sober-minded so far, now's the time to open your eyes to look up at the heavens and see the stars. See what God has promised. And don't back down from it. To have a mind that is fixed on God's word and the breathing of his spirit upon that word inside of you. That it will give you clarity of mind and tenacity towards the goal. When I begin to read this and I see Peter's failures, I do see my own. And I see the breath and spirit of God filling me to rise above them. Am I just the only one that every time that I break open my word... Lead falls upon my eyelids. Happens to me. I mean, it is instant narcolepsy. I could be full of attention and of clear-mindedness throughout my entire day. But lo and behold, the minute I begin to set my face towards heaven and lift up my voice in prayer, every distracting thought floods my mind. My mind is filled with more distractions than Louisiana is filled with mosquitoes. I feel the that. minute I stop praying, they vanquish. Why is that? It's because I am a son of the living God, and every time I act towards advancing heaven's purpose, hell stands against me. And the solution is not to go to sleep and let my eyelids fall. The solution is not to let these things bombard my mind and distract me from what God's goal is. The goal is to stand up to it and press on until it gets out of my way. And I do that as a team and in prayer. Think about that. Think about that, the times that you have opened up the word with the members of your household, with the members of this church, and what was once heavy eyelids of lead is now wide-eyed and open. 
the word begins to be exchanged and it comes alive. And the same thing with the prayer life. There's a fire. There's a vigor. There's a tenacity that you feed on your brother and he feeds from yours. The solution. The solution is that we're going to shake ourselves awake. We're going to rise up. Awaken your soul. Let your spirit stand up on the inside. Open your eyes, be alert in a sober mind, and we're going to do this together. Church, as we approach a close, we, we were so moved just reflecting on being alert and sober. We spent more time praying that the Lord would show us what to do with the word because we wanted to preach something that was moving, inspirational, and taught something to the body. Well, preparing the lesson was the lesson. We had to become more alert <laughs> and more sober-minded so that we could pray. Yes. Because everything will work against you to keep you from praying to your Father and receiving revelation. If you ever have an issue where you're feeling alone and isolated, go and pray. I promise you, your phone will ring. <laughs> it's guaranteed. When you are growing in your awareness, maybe that's happening right now. When you're growing in your sobriety of mind, which may be happening right now, one way to not lose heart is to look back at what God has already done. Amen. God has given us this word a year and a half ago. Yep. In July 22nd, there was a message preached, high alert. And God was raising our awareness. And here we are a year and a half later, and we're sharing the same revelation about being alert and sober-minded because that's what the Lord wants his people to have. Yes. Look back at the last year. Look at everything that God has accomplished. How we had trials, we had difficulties, we had illnesses, we had issues. And God put us on alert. He didn't make us fearful. He put us on alert. Remember from the beginning, alert like putting your foot down and observing. Father, what do we do about this situation? How do, what do I do? Many of the situations required faithful prayer. Required no action on our part. It required faithful prayer on our part. If you look back at what's happened in a year, we sit here tonight as raging successes. But what we know is that there are trials that are pending now that are going to culminate in just a short season ahead of us. I think of families like the Phillips. I'm watching you joyfully endure a trial with your daughter, with bad test results, with unfavorable uh, scans, whatever it may be. But not for a second have I seen the Phillips lose faith. All they did was take the data and say, that actually doesn't mean anything. Our God is good. We already have promises for this child. And we are going to be faithful to pray for something supernatural, if that be the Lord's will. But they are ready for his will. That is faith in action. I commend the Phillips tonight for taking their stand and moving my heart. Yeah, amen. What I want to highlight in the Phillips is that the Phillips have not risen on their own. What began at the beginning of this year are two families, that is the Sosas and the Molochs, who locked arms with the Phillips, who have been strengthening them because the Lord made them alert that they had needed a team at the beginning of the year. And what he had planned all along was to strengthen them for the trial that would happen in this season. And whenever the trial came, they were not stressed and overwhelmed. They said, thank you, Lord. We are now aware of how to pray. Thank you for the sobriety of mind. We look forward to what's ahead of us. Man, I think about the Robinsons when I think about faith over time. Asad, why don't you come up here? This is a family meeting, right? Yeah. 
We're going to hear from our family. Many of you know that Judah has had some medical complications. I think a better way to say that is he's had some supernatural possibilities that people have called complications. The Robinsons have been put on alert and been sober-minded from the onset of this. There's nothing more devastating and heart-wrenching than having bad news about your child's health. For me, that is one of the top things that, that wrenches my heart, whether it's my own children or a brother's child. Listen to me, church. There is nothing more powerful than a father praying for his son. There is nothing more powerful than parents praying for the health of their children. There is nothing more powerful than the body of believers putting down their foot and saying, Lord, I am alerted to what you want to do, and I am going to pray for this child. I'm going to pray for this family. I'm going to pray for this situation. Assad has a testimony. He is going to testify to us tonight of the goodness of our God. Come on, Assad. Amen. This thing working? Okay. Line it up, line it up. Amen. So, uh... Y'all sit down in the back of this worship team. It's going to be a couple of seconds. Uh, so I just want to test, <laughs> testify uh, of what the Lord is doing in the Robinson family. Um, it is a progressive testimony. We are not fully through it yet, but we've, we've come a long way. And I want to share with, guys, uh, with you guys where we come from, where we've been, where we're going, where we are right now. And so uh, to do that, we've got to go to the very beginning. And so it was, uh, I'm looking at Carlos Schrader right now. It was a couple of years back, and it was an LCM uh, Christmas party. Uh, we're going to have one in a couple of days, right? And so we were in line getting some food, and Carlos said, hey, man, uh, you guys going to have any more kids? And me and Caleb were like, no. <laughs> Why would we do that? We're out of the diaper phase. We're out of, you know, we're out of the bottle phase. Our kids are bathing themselves. I mean, they're sleeping great. Why would we do that to ourselves? You know? <laughs> no. And then, uh, but it stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we have another kid? I mean, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm 41 now. And uh, yeah, what's the treester? Yeah, I'm 41. Uh, <laughs> he didn't know. He thought I was 31. But I'm 41. And so I was like, I'm, I'm getting up there, you know, uh, I'm kind of getting a little older. But I said, you know, we have more life to give. And the only reason we wouldn't have a child is because there's something we're trying to hold on to. We're trying to get to retirement, get our, get our, our life back, our sleep back, whatever you may want to call it. And so we decided that, you know, we're going to have a child. And so it, it reminded me of the, 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 uh, the, the uh, biblical smile that Elder Eric taught us about. We were at that beginning, right? We're going to have a child. Yes. And uh, we had a miscarriage. And that was the first miscarriage we've ever had in, 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 our, in our marriage, me and Kayla. And it was devastating. We were, we were crushed. I mean, we were a couple of months along, and I think we miscarried in this building, right, Kayla? Yeah, it, it was dur during a church. We, we miscarried, yeah. It was during a church service that Kayla miscarried right in this building. And so, you know, we were crushed by that. But we said, you know, we're going to persevere. We're going to keep going. And we did. And lo and behold, we conceived again. Amen. Judah Robinson, Judah David, J. Deasy. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, J. Deasy, call him that. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, Judah was conceived, and everything's going perfectly, you know, um, no issues with the pregnancy, you know, perfect, you know, good birth, and everything's going fine. About six months into his, you know, him being here, I started noticing something like a little odd, a little off, you know, his, he's not tracking with his eyes, he's not really smiling and engaging as much. And I'm saying, Kayla, something's a little off here. I'm not, I can't put my finger on it, but something's not, just not right, you know? And, you know, as parents, you, you see that stuff. You're like, yeah, something's not right, you know. But he was really young still, you know, not yet crawling, you know, not supposed to be crawling, not supposed to be talking. But we noticed a couple of things that were, you know, not, not quite right. And so as the days progressed, you know, uh, about 11 months is where it gets interesting. And so it was around Thanksgiving time last year, and our brothers preached the most expensive Thanksgiving ever, and it was for the Robinson family. Th thank you, Ben and Justin. <laughs> it was prophetic. But uh, we, I came home from work one day, and I grabbed up Judah, 
And he was rocky, you know, like uh, almost like when you're, you're losing your balance, you know, you get in the chair, you kind of rock back. He was doing that. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And so I, I held him, and I was noticing every 10 seconds he was doing that. I said, like, this is something serious. It's, it's timely. Every 10 seconds he's doing that. And I said, Caleb, I think this is something serious going on. And I realized that I had felt that same sensation, but not as timely, not as, as, uh, as, um, as, as uh, reoccurring as, as it had been that day. But I felt that in the past. And so we were, we were alert. We were sober-minded. And we decided to go to the doctor the next day. And the doctor said, yeah, you know, we're not, not too concerned about it. And I was, to my own shame, I Googled it. I didn't immediately pray. I didn't immediately go, hey, brothers, you know, what's going on? Let, let's talk about it. I, I was, I didn't know what to do. My wife's looking at me like, what do we do? I'm not sure. I Googled it. I YouTubed it. And I saw something called infantile spasms. And I said, that looks like what Judah's doing, what he's been doing. Some doctors said, hey, it's, it's not a big deal. Some said, it is very serious. Go to the ER immediately. And so we went to our pediatricians, and some, they said, yeah, it's not a big deal. You know, um, but just to be safe, you know, go to the neurologist, and then uh, we'll set you up with an emergency appointment. That was like five months in the future. And we said, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, this is serious. We think it's serious. And so Thanksgiving Day, we saw uh, Judah have an episode of seizure. And I said, yeah, this is, this is something going on here. It's, it's not like a, a, a normal seizure you see. It's very, it was very subtle. Not, not, not what you're used to seeing, like in the movies or whatnot, what you experienced in real life. And I caught it on camera, on my phone. And I said, yeah, Kayla, uh, I'm going to the ER. And so I took Judah to the ER that night, and we were there all night long. And God's hand was just so much in it, guys. I mean, uh, had I gone the conventional route, it would have been five or six months until we saw the proper doctors or whatnot and got a diagnosis. Going to that ER that night, we got everything done in a single night. Judas hooked up to EKGs, getting MRIs. They saw, they saw the video, and they said, hey, this is, this is serious. And you came to the right place. We're so glad you did what you did. And it was just uh, looking back on it, you know, in the moment, you're just as a, a father. You're praying. You wanted to help your child. Yeah. I wasn't thinking, okay, I got to be sober. I got to be alert. I got to be a warrior lion. I wanted to help my son. And so... There was doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments, and one thing that God's hand was in it, we got the top neurologist in Houston at Texas Children's Downtown. She happened to be working that particular night when she doesn't normally work. She's more like a teacher. I mean, it, things just started happening, and Judah was hooked up this EKG, these wires all over his head, and I hated seeing my son like that. You know, it's freaking sock on his head, and he's pissed off. And... He wasn't having a seizure, though. So they're monitoring my son. He's not having a seizure. And they're thinking, okay, well, it might be a genetic thing going on. We may go that route. They're not sure which way to go. So they don't know what to do. I sure don't know what. I mean, you're the medical professionals, right? I'm praying, God, what, what do I do here? I don't know what to do. I have never run into this problem before, nor do I know anyone who has. I don't know what to do. And Judah has a seizure. Just as they're about to disconnect him and go a genetic route, Judah has a seizure right there in front of him and all of them witness it physically, and they record it, and it gives them all the data they need. And so we start Jude on a regimen of medication, and the seizures stopped. He's been on medication for over a year now, and the seizures have completely stopped. And we've got a good report that the part of his brain that was damaged as a result of the seizures, it's, it's been repaired. Amen. It's been repaired, y'all. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Praise God. Yeah. And that's what we want. That's what we want. You don't want that to continue to, 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 to degrade. And it's so important to catch it at a young age. And the doctor's just saying, hey, man, you guys are so lucky that you caught it at this point. Had you waited six months, it might have been irreparable damage. Right? And so we're like, oh, my God, thank you. So Judah's doing therapies, occupational therapy, physical therapy. It's going on, you know two or three times a day sometimes, weekly, you know, every, no, three or four times a week, two or three times a day. He's in therapies, right, trying to get him to crawl, get him to walk. And it's still, it's still a battle. It's not easy. It's still a struggle, right? And so the, they took his blood when, he, when this whole thing went down, and they did a genetics test. And we said, yeah, we don't care about that. We don't want to hear any limitations on Judah, so you take your genetics test and you, you shove it, you know, pretty much. We don't want to hear about that. <laughs> 
being honest, being truthful. We don't want to hear about it, you know? We, we got enough to handle. We got these seizures we're trying to get under control. We don't want to hear about some genetic disorder. And so we, we, we shelved it. And so now with the medical bills coming through and all this different stuff, we say, you know what? We learned that a diagnosis can actually help with getting the care, medical care, what have you, therapies. And so we said, okay, you know, we'll see what they say about this, this diagnosis, this, uh, this, uh, this genetic situation. So last week, Kayla and I went to the doctor, to the geneticist, and he told us that Judah has what's called, what's called glass syndrome. It's a very rare genetic disorder. And so it's, it's characterized by facial deformities, dental deformities, and praise God, Judah doesn't have those. Hey Amen. That, that's amazing. And so what he does have is some developmental delays. And we didn't want to go to the doctors because we didn't want to hear them say, hey, he won't do this. He'll never do this. He'll never do that. We didn't want to hear that. We didn't want to, to shipwreck our faith by hearing some doctor say that. And going to the doctor, we know we're talking to the lady who's giving us the counselor, and she's, she's shaking as she's giving us the information and news about Judah. And so, because she's not sure how we're going to take it. Are we going to just start crying? Are we going to lash out? What's going to happen? She doesn't know. And so we're, we're, we're steady. And we talk to her. Then the doctor comes in. We talk to the doctor. She tells us the news that Judah has glass syndrome. And so, she, but the thing is, they put no limitations on him. They said, you know, it's a spectrum. We're going to see what happens. And we're going to continue to do therapies and see how he develops and how he grows. And so... Our, our fears in that moment were just totally debunked. And the doctor says, okay, well, how do y'all feel about this? And we said, we're okay. And they were surprised by how cool, calm, and collected, like a cucumber we were. We were just, we were, we were chill. And so, all that said, the Lord, the Lord has made us alert and sober. And I, I wish I can say that the whole time I was just, cool as a cucumber, calm, you know, no, no shit. I had no idea what to do. And if I could do it all over again, in light of this message, I would call brothers and say, hey, brothers, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on in my family. I need your prayers. I covet your prayers. I need your help. I can't make these decisions alone. And I'm an engineer by profession. I'm looking at logical flow charts. What do I do if I do this decision? What happens then? And that, that, that's how I'm thinking. And I, I can't do it like that. I'm not smart enough to. And the thing about it is, is this genetic disorder that Judah's been diagnosed with, it wasn't hereditary. It didn't come from me. It didn't come from Kayla. It's, it's a rare genetic disorder. And even rarer within that disorder symptoms is seizures. And so he, he has the seizures, which are actually rare within the rare disease. And so the only way this is going to get fixed is by God's mercy and a miracle from God. And that, that's what our family needs. We need, we need a miracle because in my own strength, I cannot fix Judah. I can't, I can't heal him in my own strength. That has to come from God. It, it, it was assigned to him when he was born, when he was formed in the womb. That is part of his DNA. That's in his genetics. And so it's got to be for a reason. It's got to be for a purpose. It's not, just for, it's not just happenstance. I have no idea what it is yet, but I intend on finding out. I need you guys' help to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, you can stand to your feet. Worship team, you can come up. Why don't you put up 1 Peter 4, 7? For the culmination of all things is near. So be self-controlled or alert and sober-minded for the sake of prayer. The Lord is heightening our awareness, our alertness of what's going on around us. Just hear the testimonies of what's going on in the Robinsons household. God has progressively, continually been been doing miracles time and time again, but that time of trial is not over yet. And now everyone in this room is more intimately alerted to it. And you have a, a sobriety of mind that God can do a miracle, that God can bring about a full restoration. 
You have to be alert and sober-minded so that you can what? Pray. Pray. Church, what we're going to do tonight as we begin to worship, we're going to bring the Robinson family up. And as a family, we are going to be alert and sober-minded so that we can pray. So that we can seek the throne room of God and ask Him for His will. So we can ask Him for a full restoration in Judah. That His glory would be made known through their household. We're going to pray for the Phillips household. And we're going to pray for everyone in our family that's here tonight that has a need. That, that be physical, that be spiritual. We have to be alerted to it. So as we begin to worship, everyone, everyone in this body, we're going to begin to lay hands on these families. Elders are going to lay hands on these families. Church, we're going to break out the oil tonight. It's going to be like that. Because our God is a God who heals. He's a God who restores. He's a God who delivers time and time and time again, and he never fails on his promise. So as we begin to pray, come forward. As we pray for these families, if you know your family is in need, then come find an elder or pastor. Alert them to what you need, and we will begin to pray for you also. This is what family is. We no longer have to go through trial or struggle alone. And the Lord is causing us to increase. He's causing us to grow together in every single way. Mighty God, thank you for making us alert. Lord, thank you for making us sober-minded. Holy One, we call out to you in the midst of alertness and sobriety. Lord, so that we can pray to you. Lord, that we could ask you for your will to be done in this room tonight. Lord, that you would bring about supernatural healings in the name of Jesus. That in the name of Jesus, families would be restored. Lord, that children would be healed. Lord, that broken hearts would be mended. That minds would be purified and restored. Lord, and that your people might represent your glory in your house today. Amen.